0: Hate the player, don't hate the game. Especially when the player is
1: you. Pump So then, he looked me in the eyes, and he said, Do you, do you really want to interact with this? And in the distance, I heard, Josh, Josh, do you have priority? Josh! And without even thinking, I just said, pass. Wow. Did he, like, did he point anywhere? He's like, do you really want to interact with this? Well, I... Honestly, I I was just lost in in his eyes. There, there's
0: the the tournament strat to playing against me. If you are handsome or beautiful and you are alive at a table, I will lose to you.
1: Just like like putting the Riz on somebody a little bit in the tournament in a in a respectful way with just like just like just a little bit of eye contact. It's it's not the worst thing to do. It can't hurt.
0: And that is kind of what we're going to explain in this episode, or at least discuss in this episode this week, how to make them pun, how we can use table talk, table politics, posturing, even deodorant to win games. Okay, I will say, though, the games or the day- tournament days where I'm like, fuck it, I don't care. I haven't showered in three days. I'm covered in gamer grease. Those are days I win tournaments. When I'm like showered and clean, it has a,
1: a distinct negative impact on my win rate. Really? I'm the complete opposite. I gain power from looking fucking nice in the tournament. The days where I'm like hungover and not feeling great, I didn't sleep well. So I woke up like 20 minutes before the tournament. I just like fucking wet my hair in the sink and ran my fingers through it and like threw on some deodorant was like good enough that is those are the days i don't play well the days when i wake up early and like do some sit-ups and like listen to some music and take like a nice 20 minute shower and like get clean put on my nice shirt and like make sure it's not wrinkled because it's like a steamy shower those are the days where i feel like i'm playing my best those are the days where i feel like i'm locked in
0: do you know what i think it is Mm -hmm. i think when i'm sitting there and i'm smelling myself and i go i'm i'm rancid they didn't it, it forces me to want to win faster so I can, like,
1: walk around and waft out my fumes. I, I can't relate to that specifically, but I can relate to that energy. When I used to do martial arts tournaments, I wouldn't eat that much that day because I'd get, like, that weird, hungry adrenaline, and then I'd just go ape shit at the tournament, and I'd do really well. And then I'd eat at right after, immediately after, I'd just chow down on some sugary stuff and reward myself, and it was so pavlovian and it was honestly so effective so i guess if you have to like freak yourself out to to get yourself in the mood it may not be the healthiest thing but i don't know i'm I'm not a doctor i'm i'm a librarian we've established this is not an fda approved
0: podcast and now we are confirming nothing we say is legal medical advice
1: nope neither is it legal advice (laughs) it's not really advice (laughs) it's definitely not advice (laughs) If you want advice, you should listen to our rival podcast, The Hated Miscast. Yeah, How dare they be good players?
0: Yeah, fuck those guys. All they care about is winning and being efficient. You're only going to do that on average 25% of the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, So why even even try?
0: Uh, Off topic. I guess on topic, but off topic for this podcast. So when I played lacrosse, I would like that. You would put ammonia capsules in your gloves. And then when you like half ammonia you get get a rush of adrenaline and I'm wondering if I should try that for magic tournaments.
1: We're all it's episode three and we're on performance enhancing drugs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I would have probably edit that out. <laughs> I think I think the exclaiming it's episode three and we're already on performance enhancing drugs this is a great also, it's just a thing to insert somewhere, though.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to use that. I don't know how or where, but I'm going to use that.
1: Maybe in the intro somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: uh, Hello, so Yeah. <laughs>
1: Now that we've now that we've trash talked the miscast for being good players and trying to win, let's talk about how to make our opponents punt so we can be good players and try to win. Right.
0: Well, first we have to introduce ourselves. My name's oh, <laughs> right. My name's Lauren, better known as MTG Hot Dog. I am the worst half of Punt Pals. I oh. am a yeah. You're the better half. Is that because I top sixteen the tournament recently? Yep. I'm the bad cop though, and I am a CDH tournament grinder. I am on Twitter a lot and I don't know what else I do. I do this podcast, so that, that's who I am. I don't know. I feel like our introductions are getting progressively shittier.
1: I mean, that's, that's clearly the meta, so we just gotta <laughs> stick with it until something breaks the meta, you know? That's just how it works. I'm Josh. I am, uh, the, I guess the nice half of the podcast. You can't see it. My, my chin is tilted, and my hand is under it. Um, I, uh, I'm also the, the unhinged third of elder drunken highlander uh we do weird stuff like casual deck techs and sometimes cdh tournaments um one of which i was in recently and i did pretty mediocre it was okay actually i didn't you lauren i didn't punt you'll be happy to know i didn't punt any games however my deck was very rude to me i drew two lands the entire tournament i'm not even joking
0: I'm actually pissed to hear you didn't punt because that's the only way we generate new content for ourselves. I know, I
1: know. I told myself that if I did well in this tournament and uh, I didn't, like, mess up in some horrible way, then I'd be fired from the podcast. But then I I now, I like did very mediocre, and I didn't fuck up. It's just that, like, I got very bad variants, and it's unfortunate. There's, like, in this popsicle scene, like, there are two turns in a row. If I just drawn a second land... Yeah, second land... Um, I uh would have just won, and just I just didn't get there, and I was it was just unfortunate. I I so like excluding what was in my <laughs> opening hand, I literally just drew two lands the entire tournament. But it's okay. I like I won a game. I got a buy. I uh turned two to Time Twister into Orcish Bowmasters with an Obnixilis in the battlefield and immediately died. I also occasionally write eminence articles, and uh, I have a Discord, and I should post on Twitter. So anyway. Uh, I have a, I have a punt story. I punted during deck building this time and I wasted like three hours of my life building a deck that is terrible. What I consider a punt. I was looking at Volcandle Keep Sage and I was looking at Master Chef because I just had the cards in front of me because I was sorting things. Volcandle Keep Sage is a four mana creature, three colorless and a blue. She's a three, four with vigilance and she says, tap, add X mana to your mana pool, a uh, colorless mana where X is uh, equivalent to her toughness. This mana cannot be spent to cast spells from your hand. So, you can use the cast spells from anywhere but your hand and on abilities and such. And Master Chef says uh, it's three mana, two colorless, and a green. Oh, she also has choose a background. Master Chef is a background, and creatures enter the battlefield with a plus and plus one counter on them, with your commander, uh, including your commander. And uh, that's really all it does. It just gives her a plus one toughness. The idea of the deck is you can use various things that untap her, like Umbral Mantle. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Was this CEDH? Yes. Yeah, you you can laugh at me. The idea is you can use, like, Umbral Mantle and Sword of Paroons as a one-card combo with your commander to make infinite mana and then win somehow. Built that deck, and then I played a game with it, and I realized it was terrible, and I was like, oh, crud.
0: I feel like you took, like, the worst parts of Kinnan, and then you're like, what if I took the,
1: the worst parts of Kinnan, but mixed it with the good part of Salvala? Yeah, like every other Simic deck I attempt to make, I'm just like... it's just worse cannon josh this is bad this is much worse cannon though this is to be clear this is a butt deck one of the outlets was like (laughs) one of those like things that filters your colorless mana into colored mana of any color because you can spend it on that ability (laughs) (laughs) so you have to get a filter and then you have to figure out how to use the mana (laughs) (laughs) look look i'm not saying the reason it's for the podcast is because it was terrible (laughs) So the actual really embarrassing thing about the deck is that there is a better version of this deck that already exists with Noble Heritage in Fall because <laughs> that puts two plus, plus one counters, which means you can use Staff of Domination, which also draws you all the cards. So it's like the way to untap her and the outlet and you'll tutor one card and that already exists. And uh, John from the Gemstone Mine, Top 16, uh, Okotoberfest with that. And I was like, what if I did that but green and also worse? And I didn't, for some reason, I didn't think that that wouldn't be terrible. Pining during deck building, there's a really great example. So that's my that's my punting story. That's me being terrible. I I don't know if you can top that, Lauren. But if you do, that'd be really embarrassing. So I hope for your sake.
0: You yeah, go. I think punting in the deck building phase really takes a nuanced skill uh, to even get there. I have a like the opposite issue as far as like punting in the deck building phase. So like in in addition to Cdh, like I play casual. My issue with casual is I'll get the deck and I'll be like, okay, inherently just try to break it to the point where it just becomes the closest thing to CEDH, which is like not what every table wants when when you're playing. Like I'll just, I'll have these casual decks like, oh, like, hmm, this is like a six. What if it was like as close to a 10 as possible? And then it just becomes pseudo cdh it's not fun for the table it doesn't create like a fun like table experience for casual so i started having to do like very weird odd stringent like deck building restrictions the, the my most notable one i was playing a lot with it at the last couple events when i was playing casual is i have a nekusar deck it is the nekusar that i bought when the commander 2013 precon came out so I've had this Nikesar for a while. He was my main commander for the longest time. Got it signed at some GP back in 2018, I think it was. And I, I collect a lot of signed Magic cards, but then it got to the point where I wanted to rebuild a casual deck because all I had was CDH, and I had all these signed cards laying around. And so I said, "What if I did a What if I did a deck where every card except for basic lands is signed? Because then, like, basic lands are kind of hard to get. So then I had that for a while, and even then, it was like too powerful. <laughs> so to 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 weaken it even more. I took the deck. Once it's all going to be said and done, I'm going to have a hundred cards signed by a hundred different artists no repeating artists, including basic lands, signed. At a, a Command Fest Anaheim, I got a snow-covered mountain sign and an island signed. And I was like, holy shit, I have basics now? This is so great. Keeping those deck building restrictions are how I have to like stop myself from punting into
1: like an unfun table experience. Honestly, I can I can relate to that. I put ridiculous restrictions on most of my casual decks. It's very fun. It is very fun to brew those, like, over-tuned casual decks, though. The ones that, like, accidentally win. Oops, that's turn four, and I'm winning somehow. Those are fun casual decks to brew. Same way, like, I, I wasted three hours of my life earlier about the the Vol, the Masterchef Vol. Uh, but I did actually have fun brewing that. It was fun. I didn't have fun realizing that it wasn't good, but, you know... That's just, that's just how emotions work. That's just, you know, me- meant that I was having, I was invested in the fun and I wanted it to be good. And I was sad that my fun didn't have a payoff of getting to play a good deck, but you know what? There's definitely a discussion to be had. So maybe, maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't punt during deck building, Lauren, maybe you just punted in deck evaluation and you just need to tell people that your deck is high power. Okay, so we're, we are the pals of making people punt. We ourselves are not punting this week. No, 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 we're not. We're talking about potentially things that have made us punt in the past that have worked on us or things that we've used on other people that uh, have uh, worked on them that have made people punt. Because you know what? That's, that's part of the game, too, is like kind of like the, the long-term mental game of just like wearing down someone's mental energy by being just a little bit of a weasel in your games and i don't mean that like by being mean actually interestingly enough i mean that by being like super super nice and uh, that's that's actually my first my first tip believe it or not is to be super nice to people you just want to be like super nice just like say hi to everyone like be jovial compliment people's decks and compliment like people in general Like, be super, super cool and super chill. Make sure you're actually fun to play with and fun to be around because it makes people lower their guard. And also just because it's good rapport for playing and it's good tournament etiquette, being a little shit, um, so to speak, is not good for anybody. Like, first of all, it wears down your... Being nice is easier just in general, um, in my opinion. Uh, So you get to save more of your mental energy for the tournament, which means that when you get to those later rounds where things matter more, it's higher pressure and you're maybe a little bit more stressed out or tired, you have more energy to use on your mental. Um, you have more energy to use when you're tanking, more energy to use when you're thinking about lines, interaction points, etc. than someone who might be malding a little bit. And just being nice and being jovial will put you in a mood not to be as upset. And also, it makes it so that people will trust you more in the game, which means that when you maybe suggest a line that's a little bit suboptimal or a line that plays into... Your counter, your counter spell interaction. Maybe you have like a pyre blast, and you suggest that they like do like protect like their Glenhorn Buccaneer instead of their Malcolm, and then boom, you pyre blast the Malcolm, something like that. Those are all things that are uh, may or may not have happened to me, and also um, are things that you can do if you're nice to your opponent. Yeah, definitely.
0: I something that I've said in a tournament that a friend quoted me on is. I don't have your best interests in mind, but I'm trying to stop us from losing the game. <laughs> I think just having that understanding of everyone's there to play. You and I have talked about before, being the nice, goofy guy, people are are naturally going to gravitate towards you and are likely going to listen to you. And on the flip side, mm-hmm. though, you have a responsibility to pay attention to your opponents. You know, raise them up, build them up, ask about their day. My, my favorite thing to ask is, especially you know, if you're 0-2, going into round three, or you, you just lost round one going into round two, ask them, be like, hey, like, oh, what happened last round? Oh, you lost? Like, tell me about that. What, what did your loss look like? There's so much info that you can get from 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 an opponent asking them, hey, how'd you lose? Because they'll tell you, a lot of players will tell you, like, oh, I kept up this interaction instead of this, or, oh, I did a greedy tutor. Oh, I did X, Y, Z. Putting their play patterns, their decision trees on a silver platter, and you can use that information in a game. So if they say, yeah, last game I tutored for three pieces, but I just couldn't get there to to get the combo off, and you're in a game with them, and they're tutoring for three pieces again, (laughs) like you're going to know that they're not going for interaction you can there's a lot of intangibles like in sports they call like statistics that are not tracked but something that a player brings to the table is referred to as an intangible discerning your opponent's play patterns is a huge intangible that you can bring into a game by being friendly asking them things you can really put yourself in the driver's seat and really get free information
1: i like to I, honestly the, the way i seem to get the most like positive responses, like stuff like that and getting information is when i offer mine first i'm just like yeah last game i cast a turn two time twister on a mulligan to four thinking it would dig me out of the hole that i put myself in with my greedy mulligans and then the obnix deck had an op had an orcish bowmasters waiting in the wing and i immediately died to the 21 free cards that he reaped from that mistake that i made and then i'm like so what happened to you and then usually they're way more more inclined to tell you and like yeah that puts my play pattern a little bit on display but like I'm pretty confident that if they give me information as well, then I can I can use that to my advantage more than they can use information that I'm potentially giving them. I'm using that like as a token of good faith, almost, and then it's not like even a devious thing because, believe it or not, that's how I make most of my friends at tournaments. Is I chat them up before the game and then chat them up after the game, and then we exchange contact info, and then I see them at the next tournament, and then all of a sudden we're friends. In that same scenario, if someone asks me, "Hey, how'd your game go?" I'd be like, "Oh yeah, I got bowmastered. It sucked." I don't want them to know I take greedy mulligans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever, dog. If they're if they're gonna use that information against me, then I guess they're better than me. But like I'm gonna I'm gonna try and outplay my opponents. And so in order to do that, in my eyes, I'd rather be open about everything because I prefer my opponents to be open about everything. And I think that I can still win being open about everything. Great example of this at the tournament last week and someone played a telepathy. I had interaction and hand the counter the telepathy. And I was like, I don't give a shit. Like, Did I have interaction? No, I didn't have interaction. But i was also just like i know i had a removal for the telepathy is what it was and i really did not care i had an Odawara and I, I had a wheel it's not gonna matter because i'm confident that with open information i can outplay my opponents and if i can't then i'm not gonna win this tournament anyway and that's that's how it's got to be did the gamble pay off oh yeah yeah i won that game it was great i uh i talked speaking of rizzing your opponents there was a toxic delusion in another player's hand, and uh, someone else brought it up immediately. And then I lashed onto that and like started talking about that a bunch, even though I had like enough mana to glint horn off the bring to light into my hand. And then I also someone Imperial sealed, and I was like, I started mentioning about dashing in the Ragavan that I had, distracting them about that. From that, I was able to like determine like what they're like what they had, and like I don't think the Imperial player had anything in his hand, just because I was like talking about dashing Ragavan, and he didn't say like, oh, you can try or something like that. He's just like, I'm gonna do it. I had a Cavern of Souls, too, which is really funny. You couldn't count on the Ragavan. But I was joking about um, not using the Cavern of Souls. I'm like, what if I just play it like a creature spell? Because like, I want to be more efficient with my mana. Um, it did. He didn't really answer the question, but I, I kind of got the sense that he sealed in desperation based on that, because his reaction to the Ragavan discussion was pretty visceral. So I actually really loved the telepathy, because I was like, well, you know what? This makes things more even, and if I'm actually better than my opponents, or if I'm at, least, at the very least luckier than my opponents, uh, I can definitely use this to outplay them and if not then uh i'm wasting removal basically on on fear so that's why i like being open basically is because like i don't know if i can't win while being open i don't deserve it and i think i can win i prefer to try and win while being open
0: i think that falls right in line too with testing boundaries we we want to see what gets a reaction from our opponents what and how we say things and how players react you can read and assess a lot of the game state their hand
1: even without a telepathy in play i play every game with telepathy in play heck it whatever if i can if i can see my opponent's hand i'm super down to let them see my hand i don't care i play ton of malcolm which is just build a gun dot deck i don't care if they can see my stinking hand what are they gonna do about it if i can see their hand i'll know what they're gonna do about it so i'm here for that we play very differently. <laughs> I'm I'm very much an aggressive player. I'm super aggressive.
0: I uh, I want as much information that my opponents will give me while giving them nothing in return.
1: I mean, honestly, that's probably the the more intelligent way to do it. But I have this idealistic way of playing. I gave up my ideals a long time <laughs> ago. Yeah, testing boundaries is important, though. Like, you don't want to like push your opponents to make them salty or upset. Cause again, like these are people they're not like, I don't like the idea that you have to like shark your opponents out to, to like really make them, make them punt. I think you could just make people punt by just kind of making them forget that they're in a high stakes CDH game and just kind of like make them go for like some, a play without fully thinking it through or something like that. And that's, that's, that's perfectly fine. That's, that's the nice way to do it. And they're like, oh man, like this is something that actually was literally said in the into the North podcast uh morgan was like talking about a top 16 pod that where we got just like turn one wheels and then we were all out of the game and someone was like oh that was uh, i think someone else in the podcast was like oh that must have been a very intense match and he's like no josh oh the drunken highlander there so we were just like chilling the entire time it was a very is he i forget what he said but he was like a very loose match is what he said and i was like yes that is exactly the tone that i want every game that i'm in to be in it's like everyone's like no this josh is here it's like everyone's playing fast and loose that's exactly what I want. Like my positive is, Everyone's just open and and That's, that is, I, I do play very fast and loose. Heck it. And I'd love for everyone else to play that way too, because I think that plays right into my advantage. If I can, if I can kind of, if I can kind of get everyone to, to empathize with me in that way, push their boundaries and get them to kind of like relax there. then that's, that's really great for me. And like, in the same way, like you can, you can try to say things to people to get specific reactions from them. Like you can, you can mention certain cards, like try to guess what's in their hand, see what they how they react. You can say something that you blatantly know is wrong and see what they say. (laughs) These are all, all things that you can do. Like, do they, if they, if they look like emotional, like, do you think like, are they going to react like to some, to some certain like thing coming to them in priority that like they might affect their game plan? Can you bait them out with a, with a stacks piece, for example? if they're like seems like they're really focusing on a card in their hand can you push it by like mentioning like a grand abolisher or mentioning playing a thalia or some other thing that would slow them down uh and see how they how they react even if you don't even run that in your deck mention another player playing it who cares Be like oh god Esau might put an oof see what they say See what, they, see what they do. See what if they look at a card in their hand or something like that. It's all good things to do. And also be careful about people doing that to you because I think it's very fair game for people to be doing that every second of CEDH matches. Shooting the shit and talking and trying to see if people will accidentally reveal something.
0: 100%. I, I had a tournament that I was playing in like six weeks ago, like a, a, a locals tournament. I was second seat on Timna Krom. First seat was like original Narset. And I had gambled past turn. He was threatening a turn three, Narsat. He goes to the table. He goes, everyone, just be careful. Lauren just tutored for Force of Will. I didn't. I tutored for my win con. I was like, I mean... I am in blue, and I know you're about to play Narset without protection, because he went full hellbent to like, prepare to drop this Narset. I mean, I do run Force of Will, and you did just tap out, I, and I have four cards in hand. I mean, Force of Will would be really good right now. Turn, he does not cast Narset. Hmm? I go my
1: turn, I silence Demonic Consultation. <laughs> Easy mode, wow. That's some, that's some pretty good Riz right there. Pretty good Thank distraction you. tactics some some misdirection, if you will. I know it was a Force of Will, the other five mana interaction piece. Well, the best part is he did it for me out of fear, and I think it like it worked in my advantage because
0: no one, everyone just played ma- tapped out for mana rocks I, out of fear that I grabbed a Force of Will. I go, guys, if I grab Force of Will and you try to win, you know I have to stop it, and so no one fucking played into this Force of Will that the Narset player said I had that didn't exist.
1: It felt really good. It felt great. Honestly, when you when you have moments like that where you can just opportunistically hop onto someone else's table advice that was an incorrect assessment, this is the that's the best feeling. You're like, Oh, I just get to ride someone else's someone else's politics and like pretend that it's actually true, and this is great. They won't even, they won't even, they won't even see it coming. But like, it is good to offer advice to your opponents, though. And like, I don't mean like offer bad advice to them. I think it's actually better to offer real, genuine advice and like actually help them out. Like, wouldn't it be better instead of uh, instead of counterspelling that pact negation, you just counterspell the bull loss of Citadel again instead, and let so and so pay for the pact? Like, that's the kind of advice that you would give to an opponent that's like genuinely helpful and like actually nice. And the reason you want to do that is because, you, again, you want to have, like, the nice, chill, casual EDH environment in your CDH tournament pods. Well, if, if you're me, at least. I don't want to say you. I want to have the nice, chill, casual EDH environments in my tournament pods, so I will help my opponents out as much as possible. I'll even help them make optimal plays for themselves if I don't think it really matters that much. You know, like, if there's, like, a little sequencing thing that I think I can catch them on, like, help them. I'll be like, don't you want to do yeah. X and Y? Like, why not? Like. First of all, it's nice; it's great to be nice to people. If it doesn't end up mattering in the game, and like, they just like it's good. Then maybe you make a friend from that. That's cool as fuck. We love that. That's also a great way not to punt Let's have more practice partners. Fun fact. Um, but a uh, it, it also just helps kind of build rapport in the game. And then when you eventually need to like say something that's a little rizzy and say something that might like have some misdirection or have some obfuscation, or maybe leave something out that's important. Or maybe you give some advice, but you don't like paint the whole picture of what's going on, something that's similar to that. It kind of makes it more likely that they might trust you on that because you've been helping them before. You've been helping other players and things like that. But to that point, I don't think you should ever lie personally in a CDH game. I think if you do that, that creates a reputation for yourself that is not good. And I think that'll carry to you in other games. And then your ability to politic in future games will be very detrimented. You don't care about that, that's your thing. But personally, I think like outright lying is never really a, a great thing to do. People will talk about that. And also, I think it's just bad manners, honestly. Here's my controversial take. you ready? Mm-hmm. I think if you are
0: going to lie, I, there's no rules in magic that precludes one ability to lie. but I think you, I, I think if you're going to actively lie, be ready for the fallout and the consequences of being a disingenuous person because when the game ends people are
1: still going to look at you like a as a a liar someone who's not truthful that's a really good point honestly did that's not even something i considered but that's that's a very very good point if you i mean if you're cool with that like let's say you're playing for i don't know for example a, a time twister or a black lotus and like you're just like fuck it i got my bag i'm out i don't care if they think that about me then hey that's cool man that's on that's on you and honestly power to you. if you are more invested in your your future standing when the eyes of the people who witness this or may hear about it and so on and so forth, it might be better not to do that especially if you want to keep raising them up in the future right you want to keep you like there is a there is a, a third meta right there's the there's the cdH meta there's the tournament meta and then there's the there's the building rapport with your opponent's meta. And so on one hand there's that person who remembers that one time that you reverse thoracled him and will never ever let you do that again and is always going to counter your demonic consultations or tainted pact. even if you swear to god it's for interaction to help you stop stop the other player from winning they'll be like no that one time you got me never again i'm never letting it happen that's the opposite of what this is but if you're nice to people over a long period of time people will remember that too and they'll be more trusting of you for other things and they also might overlook it when like your advice might backfire and you can be like, oh, no, like, I gave you some bad advice. It didn't work out that way. Sorry. Like, they might not they might be as upset if they, if they realize that your misdirection was what cost them the game. So especially if you just are very honest and explain it to them, be like, yeah, that was a bit of a misdirection there. Sorry, <laughs> but I felt like it was very, very easy for me to latch on to what he was saying. And it wouldn't be something that was super disingenuous for me to do. And then, like honestly, I've said that to people—not that exactly, but similar things like that. I've been like, "Yeah, well, I, yeah, well, I intentionally just said that I had a way to interact, even though it was just a noxious revival, and I knew that there were no actual things I could do with it, just because it was a thing that would draw this person in a card with Ristic Study." But I had no intention of ever casting it, and like that was in that situation, someone get probed me, and they knew I had it, and they were like, "Cast a noxious revival." But they didn't want to say what it was because uh, they, I guess they didn't want to reveal the information to the player who was trying to win. Because I guess it maybe it could have came up later, but they weren't going for a graveyard line. They are going for, um, I think it was Kark. Instead of instead of doing that, I was just like, no, I'm not casting this because I think we're dead anyway. And then if I'm not dead, this person with the Rustic Studies next in turn order. And they're already drawing a billion cards from Kark, so heck them. And so I felt like it was better just to like hope that they both blew each other out. And then I could use the Noxious Revival to get my Glinthorn buccaneer back and win on my turn. So I obfuscated. And at the end of the game, he was like, dude, I knew you had that. Why didn't you cast it? And then I just like showed the table in my hand and I was explained exactly what I just said. But, like, well, I just wanted to win on my turn with the Noxious Revival. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, no, I see. Yeah, I got you. Like just being honest with people sometimes, it's great. I um
0: I wanted to add as far as good advice to give players at the table is reminding, not telling people how to use their counter magic, but reminding people, okay, this person's using a vampiric tutor, your opponent only has a, a mental misstep, reminding them, you probably can't interact with whatever he's getting, you might as well counter the tutor to at least help, you know, hedge our bets and be able to help us in that manner and use interaction that you have efficiently because no one ever counters the tutor. But if someone's worldly
1: tutoring or something and you can't counter a creature spell, counter the worldly tutor. <laughs> it's a nice thing it's like free to like give that advice whenever someone casts a tutor and be like hey if all i think this person's gonna win if all you have is interaction for non-creature spells i recommend countering this tutor and when i do that and that's something i actually did not the last tournament but at the last rip and ship i did that when i do that i might literally reveal cards in my hand to all players because you have to reveal information to all players when you do yep. that like that would be like look Here's how I can interact, and they do not help in this situation. I am sorry. So what I'm doing right now is doing the only thing I can do, which is putting politics on the stack. That is verbatim what I said at the tournament, and it worked. It was great. It was awesome, and we didn't die. I still lost, but you know what? I got to untap one more time and got blown out. So you know what happens. (laughs) But it it did work. So it's, it's good to do stuff like that. And it's, it's I think having rapport with your opponents is the only way stuff like that will work. If they don't trust you, if they don't think you're a nice person, if they don't think that you at least have some of their best interests at heart, if they don't think that you're going to be honest, then that's never going to work.
0: Be observant and put pressure on people in a a way that doesn't make them hate you. Don't get too invested in like, hey, show me your hand. You got to use this resource. Got to use your resource because that's that's at that point when you're that desperate and clingy to other people's, you know, resources, you're going to lose and people will not like you and keeping Mm. a level head, being apologetic, kind, gracious, all of those nice, positive things. That is how you keep a table comfortable with you. And that's how you are able to ultimately convince your opponents
1: to use their resources in your advantage especially if you don't have the resources yourself and you just want to you need to do something it's really great just to constantly be putting politics on the stack in a way that's like polite and nice and helps your opponents potentially and at the same time you don't want to get upset about it you don't want to be like dude i'm hellbent i don't have anything you killed my commander can you please just interact here i want to keep playing magic there's only 20 minutes left of the round let's keep going let's extend this at the very least we can all get a draw like like don't harp on people like that like I've had people do that in games before. And it's just like, sometimes and this is it's something that I've literally thought about somebody in the game, just because they're being this sour. This is in a tournament. I've literally been like, well, I am no longer able to win. All of my stuff is completely locked out by what's going on, but at all costs, I will not let this player win either because they are upsetting just to be around. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've literally thought before. I didn't end up having to do anything because the stacks player got them Ha <laughs> ha. But, uh, it was it was something I was prepared to do because I was just that salty at this person for being such a sourpuss to everybody in the pod. And sourpuss is a very nice way of putting it. I almost called the judge. I was so just like tilted from them just being so goddamn rude. And at that point, like another player had locked both of us out, and they weren't. They were just like being just generally obnoxious to everybody from the start, like from the beginning of the game. And it is just very frustrating. Just Not, not even the stacks. I, the stacks player was living their best life. They were vibing. This other person was just like, Arr. so don't do that. Don't be a jerk to your pod mates because if you if you accidentally tilt them against you, oh, cool, you've tilted your opponents. Now they're punting, but they're punting to make you lose. So I think it really pays dividends to be nice to your opponent. I think that's the best way to actually make them potentially make mistakes in your favor. Don't push it. Just be nice and, and let them do it on their own and be an opportunist. And I think that's the way to do it. If you're open and opportunistic, and just capitalize when someone does make a mistake, and be prepared just to outplay people, when it when the situation arises, people will just keep letting you do it, especially if you explain it and are nice and gracious, and be like, hey, that was a good attempt, I just did X and Y.
0: Speaking of being opportunistic, I'm going to use this time to transition to our segment Punt Peak, where we talk about deck lists that didn't quite make it to the final top 16 or top 4, you could say they punted, I don't think they punted, sometimes variants will get you, but we have a deck from ccu2 cash cards unlimited two that was at frankensons in la had the overwhelming uh, pleasure of going one and five in that tournament not a big deal i felt really good too i won round one i was like i got this and then i did not get this so this uh, deck is an Atraxa grand unifier deck by weston vincent they went two two and two overall at ccu2 spring fling they placed 17th on breakers <laughs> their breaker is punted which is an absolute heartbreaker this list is called not Dehata, <laughs> which is such an app name considering its hashtag HotBoyMarduSummer. mardu summer
1: it do be hashtag hotboy mardu summer it really do so i love the, i love the deck name it's it, i saw i saw the 17th and i looked at the breakers and i looked at the records and i was like no
2: no, that sucks.
1: So I, that's why this decklist is here, because like, I feel like they probably played really well, and then just like their opponents were bad. and that's Well, I don't want to say that about their opponents. Their <laughs> opponents didn't perform as well as they could have, and that's that, that kind of hurt them, because those darn tiebreakers, man.
0: So in our show notes, you wrote, oof on 17th
1: place. We have been there, bud. Uh, I personally haven't. I'm not good enough to, to be on breakers at 17th. I get locked out on breakers um, decently often. It happens. It's because I'm like a mid-tier CDH player. What I want to
0: know is I see the sticker sheet. (laughs) Are these legitimate? Like, is there anything
1: in here that uses stickers? I, I look through it. Well, I think, I think it's just in case he gets his hand on an underscore goblin. No, but like, let's say, for example, he was playing against a deck that ran underscore goblin and wanted to get mana from the underscore goblin. He could cast. A praetor's grasp which he's not running hmm interesting oh, oh i know this reanimate for example to take the underscore goblin but if he didn't have any uh didn't have any way to get stickers on the underscore goblin it would just be an underscore goblin and not a insert sticker name goblin let's say he wanted a bunch of mana to recast his commander for the umpteenth time if it doesn't have a sticker sheet it doesn't work so technically if you have any way to steal a creature from an opponent that would create an etb from it it is optimal to have a sticker sheet.
0: And an attraction deck, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, just in any deck. It's and, and now it is because of Underscore Goblin being played in Godo. If you ever go against a Godo deck and you don't have a sticker sheet, you're at a disadvantage if the niche situation where you have to steal their Underscore Goblin ever comes up.
0: You no, know, no, I mean, because this person also has an attraction deck, not not a deck of attractions, but oh. like the actual 10-card side deck.
1: Oh, really? That's hilarious. I don't know why they have an attraction deck. This is genuinely like optimal to have these. I don't know why they would have an attraction deck. Maybe I'm missing something and someone in the podcast can, and the listeners can let us know what we're missing exactly with the attraction deck. But I think it could also just be a meme. Like, it's free to have an attraction deck. Why would you not put an attraction deck in if you want to? No, that's that's like min-maxing to the nth degree, though, right? Like, that is so yeah. smart to just have these cards. So that's why it's so tragic that this person got 17th place on Breakers. The other thing yeah. I really like about this deck is that it's on Food Chain. We don't see enough Food Chain. Food chain's some old-school good stuff. And honestly, creatures are really, really hard to counter. So if you can stick the Food Chain in the rest of the compost safe af and there's a lot of ways to get the food chain in pretty easily with the of that basically wins you the game there's an eternal scourge in here there's no mist holler griffin in here which i approve of i think that's a good a good decision there and uh i really just i just really like food chain as a combo i really like when decks are able to run it i think it's smart to be on food chain with this deck i wonder if they won any games with food chain i'd be really interested to hear that the ccu meta with like with teferi 2 the return of teferi but better taking down CCU and uh, cause you know, OG two is the five mana one, that's like a grand abolisher with that, without that, like 2018 era CDH deck taking down the tournament. It's really, really exciting to see a deck running a 2018 era CDH classic banger win con like food chain. So I don't know, like the CCU meta Steve's hype. If they do another one, I might like try to get down there just to, just to spectate even cause these decks are sick. Yeah, I, I honestly, <laughs> I might be sticker-sheet-pilled,
0: because I'm like, do I just, I run Prater's Grasp in Zihada? do I run it for the Just-In-Case? You run phantasmal Image? Get your sticker sheet, baby. I'm asking Zane, because the description literally just said, sorry, Zane. Oh, there he is. Hello. What's up, Zane? Hi. What is up? All right. Welcome. <laughs> so we are we're reviewing decklists that didn't quite make top sixteen. The one in question here is from CCU to by I believe a friend of yours, Dooland. Dooland, yeah. <laughs> we wanted to call you because their deck d- description is just sorry, Zane, frowny face. the The real question we're calling you is because they have a full attraction deck and sticker sheet. Yes.
1: Why? Yeah, why?
2: Uh, so you can use your attraction deck and sticker sheet to burn about three minutes of time on uh against stabs <laughs> decks, and you don't need to pull it out against turbo decks. So depends on where you think you want the game to go. It's a free three minutes off the clock. What card kind of uses it? Uh, it doesn't matter. You you reveal
1: it and shuffle it and talk about it. If you
2: you can you're able to run it if you like can pre-grasp a mind goblin or something it doesn't matter like that's why it's what allows you to run it so (laughs) just a heads up
0: dude okay so then our point right now is is the new meta to fully min max is it to add sticker sheets and attraction decks to every deck
2: it's not the new meta. It's something you can do. I don't think it's really going to give you an edge. If you didn't think about running a sticker and attraction deck. You're not off to a good start here on the creativity department.
0: <laughs> well, this is perfect because the the theme of this episode is how to make your
2: opponents punt games in your favor. So I think this is a great great point. Heck I resolved yeah. a tie taker recently in a tournament uh, with an onboard ranger captain out, and then the person was like, "Yeah, I let, I'll let that resolve." <laughs> Later, I put a breach on the stack, and they couldn't crack the Ranger Captain because my card was in Japanese, so they didn't know what Tide Ticker did. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I that's
1: keep all that's my a cards classic way to make language. a punt.
2: Yeah, all my cards are foreign language because like, I'm a CEG player. I don't know how to read anyways, and then my opponents won't be able to pick up my cards and just figure out what they do. They'll have to call for oracle text and like miss something about what your card does. I highly recommend it. Perfect. All right.
1: Well, that's
2: very dirty. The
0: the build up to you calling in was us being like really chaotic like, "Oh, this is sorry Zane. Shit, we got to call Zane." So, thank you for indulging this this chaos.
1: <laughs> that was I, and then imparting that that fucking wisdom that's basically exactly what we've been talking about <laughs> this entire podcast. That was perfect. <laughs> we've literally just been on like how to dirty trick your opponent like CDH pocket sand the whole time.
2: Make sure you, uh, I don't know, insert a clip that you called me while I was driving. So <laughs>
0: Perfect, I'll add that in. It really is for just the Praetor's Grasp and to, to, to trick your opponents.
1: I feel so smart right now. I love that you can just DM Zane. He's like, yeah, let me get on and uh, stop driving to give you a call. That's crazy. We, it's, we haven't even released an episode yet. This is being recorded two days before episode one goes live, and we already have clout. Let's go. So there you go. You just you just show them your attraction deck and waste three minutes, I guess. Honestly, that's pretty valid. We love that. On the same token, when your opponent does that, you can be like, hey, stop stop wasting time with your attraction deck. We all know that's not going to become relevant. Let's get to it. But it could, Josh. It could. Yeah. Well, that's on you to outplay them. If you don't, then they're outplaying you. <laughs> well, that was, our, that was our peak pals
0: at Not Dehada by Dooland, uh, who got 17th place after optimizing
1: so perfectly
0: yeah perfect min max i'm gonna start doing this in all of my decks um that that's my main takeaway is
1: (laughs) anything that gives me even if it's a one percent edge still an edge baby makes sense makes sense yeah i i i don't know maybe not having the attraction deck gives you an edge when someone pulls out their attraction deck you can be like I, I understand that gives you, like, a little bit of an edge, but I'm not bothering with that. We all know what it does. And then, like, tell them to put it away. I don't know. I think with the new meta, with, you
0: know, I sit down at a table, I'm on Tim Necrom, someone's on Dehada, person next to him's on Bill the Pony, then the next person's at Tetsamok, and all four of us are putting out our attraction decks
1: and our sticker sheets. I think that's peak and optimal CDH. Dude, we're not supposed to spill the Bill the Pony tech. That stuff is the new the new meta for Dehata. two food tokens... The, the food tokens... No, you don't have to. It's, it, this will come out, like, weeks later. The food tokens are OP. That's all I'm saying. The food Are you are telling me my 1-4 can block as if it, it's a 4-4 four four if I eat a food? Dude, I'm telling you... I'm telling you that you can sacrifice the food tokens to do things.
0: Bill the Pony is to Dehada as Spellseeker is to Anala, in my opinion. Or as Glinthorn Buccaneer is to Malcolm. Yeah, it's just an integral piece of creature that you need yeah, like Dockside to Kenrith. It's basically dockside, let's be yeah, honest. Yeah. It makes
1: tokens when it enters the battlefield. Yep. Mm-hmm. It has yeah. one power. I mean that's why it's in the deck. You know what's really funny about Tetsamok? Every time I mention Tetsamok for C D H stuff, people who play casual are just like honestly that card actually slaps in casual and then give really niche but really crazy reasons why it's actually good. Like for example, Volo is it Volo? No it's Volrath can become a copy of anything with a counter on it. <laughs> <laughs> Death Tetsamok puts prey counters on the things, so Tetsamok is actually disgusting. Damn, you heard it here first, folks. Yeah, Tetsamok is disgusting. Get your get your Russian foil Tetsamoks now because, like, it's a great card. Get your pre-release foils, get them all because not only is it good in CEDH as a politics play and as a way to misdirect your opponents into accidentally putting it into their deck list, but uh, it's a really great casual card that absolutely slaps. So. Speaking of absolutely slapping,
0: this podcast that slaps needs to come to an
1: end, unfortunately. What? No, I I just want to bullshit the entire night. (laughs) We'll just keep making content. Wait, can we call Zane again? (laughs) I miss him. (laughs) I want to see his fish and chips. Oh, I bet they're good, too. Yeah, they're probably so tasty. Damn, I'm hungry now. You want to do a cooking podcast? Oh, I made I made a really good egg drop soup for dinner. Oh, stop it! You're gonna you're gonna make me go eat food. All right, you let's do the outro so I can eat. Uh, okay. Oh, you know who else eats food? Bill the Pony.
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway,
1: if you want to talk to us about Bill the Pony, you can get at us on our Twitter punt underscore pals. And uh, if you like this episode, you can share it with your friends at the places where podcasts hang out. Like YouTube and Spotify.
0: Yes. If you are a pal who wants to punt with us, please go on Twitter at punt underscore pals. If you like us as individuals and as separate pals, I'm Lauren at MTG underscore hot dog. I am on Twitter. Hopefully, I'll be a guest at MTG Vegas. Uh, I-, I will hopefully be at the cookout. This might be releasing after the cookout. I will be at the Fishbowl 2. In San Diego, which is a CDH event in conjunction with Planet Power, I will be at Surfside Showdown in San Diego, uh, which is an eminence event. I am on streams as a guest, and I'm also on a bunch of random stuff on YouTube, so if you look up, I have a curated playlist on YouTube of the MTG Hot Dog Collection. It's It's like the Criterion Collection, but worse. So if you think I'm funny, you think we're funny, please check us out.
1: Heck yeah. Yeah, I'm on Twitter as at Drunken Elder for the Elder Drunken Highlander stuff. I put out weird YouTube videos about casual decks mostly and sometimes CDH vlogs. I also occasionally write articles for Eminence, and uh, I go to a lot of events. If you're at Kineticon this summer, come come find us. We have two panels. We're going to be talking about CDH and also casual. We have one for each. So there's something for everyone. And, uh, and
0: you, you... Sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you'll, you'll be doing those with the Howling Salt Mine uh, podcast, who are, who are good friends of ours. Right. Yes, and also
1: the Commander Coffee podcast. Hell yeah. Shout out yeah. shout out to Howling Salt Mine and Commander Coffee. Yeah, we, we do love our friends at, in those podcasts. And if you want to be friends of our podcasts, you can uh, share this and get at us on the socials that we just told you about and let us know how you feel. Perfect. So now. Now here's the part where we have another conundrum. How do we end this podcast? We have so many outtakes, I think we should just...